the USL show, also known as The View for Soccer. I gave a very pro wrestling heel turn, I'm sorry you were offended apology. The US military discussing what a Naruto run is for the Area 51 raid. I feel angry. Welcome, everybody, to the USL show. Special guest today is Dan Egner. It's been a while since we've talked, but Dan is the 1719 soccer management owner of your own soccer management company. You're an agent for Nordic Sky and you do a lot of consulting and stuff. Why don't you uh, fill us in on that, Dan? But first of all, actually, how are you doing, man? It's been a minute. Yeah, no, it has. Uh, I am doing great. Thanks for asking. Um, <laughs> been uh, been off the club side now for nine months and really enjoying myself getting to work on some cool things that I necessarily didn't get to uh, on the club side, given my, my roles that I had and just really enjoying it. It's a fun time to, to be a part of soccer in this country and other ones. And um, so far all good. Yeah. Good. It sounds that way. Uh, yeah. And I love that you're like, you got your hand, you're dabbling in a lot of different things. So it sounds like you're having fun for sure. So that's great. No, thank uh, you. So, you know, let's, let's at least get your resume out there. The thing that I uh, think of you most for is the 2019 Real Monarchs team is, is the, is the team you went out on. You went out on a high note. They won the championship in the USL really amazing team, but you know, you were building that team for years before that. And, you know, it was a couple of years before 2019 that we finally started catching on like what your model was and what you were trying to do and you know we were hating on mls two teams but you got the asterisk because <laughs> we liked what you were doing man we really loved the mix of, of players and so i wanted to make sure everybody knew who we were talking to he's the guy that kind of orchestrated that um and you know it went away now that you're not here and it's so <laughs> sad to see you don't have to comment on that but um now we've set the stage for who you are and what you've done and what you're doing uh i wanted to talk to you because we've talked off offline about um, this MLS next situation and what's happening with the possible MLS Academy league or whatever the hell we thought it was as we've been leading up to this. So, so many rumors and we don't even have that much information, but um, you know, it was announced the other day that we'll have a division three league that is owned and run by MLS and it's going to have mostly MLS clubs, maybe ha over half the MLS clubs it says will be, uh, part of this in, in 2022 when it starts, uh, we'll get some independent clubs that are coming out of the MLS next structure, which is the Academy structure. Uh, a lot of other details, no age cap. Um, they thought about making it a U 23 team. It's not going to be that. Um, let's start with that. Dan, when you heard this news, obviously you've been hearing rumors as they go up, come along, um, as, as you do what you do. How did this news strike you once it was kind of official? Yeah, once it became official, um, one, I was surprised it took so long because, I mean, I was on calls about this since, like, last July. Uh, so, like, almost 12 months ago. Um, and I think it took a while. Obviously, COVID was not uh, anyone's friend when it came to this in terms of timeline and trying to figure this out. Um, but the thing that surprised me back then and kind of did throughout this whole process was how it, it took – so long and it was very free flowing and it had a lot of different ideas. So like you talked about the age cap and that's definitely a real thing that was talked about. And 
okay, it's going to be U23 and you can have X amount of overage guys or, you know, X amount of overage first team guys who are down rehabbing and things of that nature. And I was like, okay, well that, in my opinion, I was like, it worried me. So I was like, that kind of just sounds like an extension of the academy. So now instead of you're going to have a U19 team and a U23 team, right? It's, um, so that worried me a little bit. So I was glad to see when it came out, Hey, no age restriction. Um, that was a plus. I also think the news of having independent clubs. And I know that they mentioned specifically, like, Hey, like some from MLS next academies and teams that don't have a pro set up yet. But I do know there's also discussions about clubs that are not part of independent uh, or part of MLS next that are just going to be standalone professional teams, which mm-hmm. I also find very intriguing and maybe we can talk about this later and what that's going to do with the dynamic of league one um, and the future of that. Um, As a whole though, I I can tell you, I am optimistic about this new league, but also have a lot of concerns. Um, You know, we saw this years ago before I was even working in MLS, the, the old reserve league. And I think there's people who are definitely talking and worried that, man, like, is it going to be we're playing the day after first-team games at noon in front of 50 people and people walking their dogs, and what does this look like? Um, Because one thing on our end, uh, you know, when I was with RSL and the Monarchs, it's just invaluable, is the high-pressure situations that you put young players in, um, in terms of, like, it's something to go to New Mexico and play in front of 10,000 people who hate your guts and scream at you the entire match against grown men who are fighting for their livelihoods. Uh, you can't replicate that. And no quote unquote reserve match is going to replicate that. Or I look back on the squad, they went to Louisville and it's like, Oh my, I think people forget that an 18 year old David Ochoa who had never played an MLS game in his life and was in his first professional year started that match and every match in the playoffs. And it's like, you're an 18 year old player. It's crazy. Imagine what that does for somebody, right? Like you, you cannot replicate that in, in this current system, at least how I think it's going to be set up and how it seems like it's going to be set up. You can't, you can't do that. Um, So I think that's where I'm a little bummed out. I also think from a USL standpoint, I, the league is going to lose a lot of good young talent. Uh, I remember the last time they did the 20 under 20, which I actually think was 2019. Um, 18 of the 20 players on the 20 under 20 list yeah. were from the MLS two teams, which is awesome. And it makes sense. But at the same time, you take that and you're like, man, you're, you're going to lose those guys. And I think as a whole, like that's a bummer for the league. And I think independent clubs are going to have to step up and bring in new young talent, whether that's domestically or internationally, you're going to need to see a lot more Diego Luna's and El Paso's than you are. And this is no knock on these guys, but, the 30 year old who's been on six different USL teams. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm a little bummed cause I think we are going to miss out on a lot of young talent. Um, but it, it'll still be interesting. I think the MLS legal t- trend and skew a lot younger um, just naturally. And I think you've seen that even more so this year with some of the MLS two teams, right? It's even the, teams who traditionally maybe had a more mixed model of veterans and young guys seem to be skewing younger. Um, so if that trend continues, you know, I, I do think that league is going to be uh, probably younger and to start, it's not going to be the same quality that you see week in week out in the championship. Yeah, I agree. Um, 
let's uh i like that you mentioned the reserve league the mls reserve league back in the day so i didn't know how much you knew about it. i wasn't going to ask you about it but i am curious you know obviously we've all heard horror stories about that um so i guess you were also around then when the reserve league you know the mls teams just decided to join the usl can you tell me about like the environment of us soccer when that happened? Like what was the motivation? Was it viewed as, well, we're going to do USL a favor or was it obviously these guys are going to do a better job with our two teams or how did you, how did you feel like it went at the time? Yeah. So when <laughs> I can tell you before USL was around, um, we had a goalkeeper who this happened before I was at the club, but then I overlapped with this player for numerous years at the club who is a goalkeeper. And he played as a striker in an MLS reserve game oh because goodness. they didn't have enough field players. So like that should, and, and you'll hear stories all the time of ticket reps and guys who played in college who now worked on the business side of the club, having to play in reserve league matches. And it just, it wasn't an environment really conducive to anything more than a fitness exercise, um, which is a bummer. Um, like that's not good for anybody. Uh, and then you flash forward to the year where, yeah, like reserve sides played a few matches in USL games and they counted for standings. Um, and it was kind of a weird thing. And I was like, well, what, what's happening here? Um, and I think it was just kind of, it was a way for USL to get their guys more games and USL team or MLS teams to kind of have glorified reserve league games. If yeah. that, but the, the, the players on the MLS teams didn't care. Right. So like there was no motivation. There. Um, so then when we finally saw galaxy come in with Los Dos in 2014, it's like, Oh wow. Like this can actually really be something. Um, and then 2015 for my money is like, that's the start of the modern USL, right? That's when you had all the two teams come in. Um, and the league was a little bit down on slot in terms of uh, numbers um, really boosted the league up. And as that developed, I think it really shifted the USL into to what it is today. Um, and at the time, like it provided is mutually beneficial, right? It, yeah. it allowed MLS teams who wanted this to really elevate their player development side uh, mm-hmm. on the team side. Right. And on the USL side, it gave them numbers, which they desperately needed. And it gave them the legitimacy of, Oh, Hey, like we're in bed with MLS. Um, at a time when, and I know you remember this, that like the, the branding was terrible, like USL pro with like the flaming soccer ball right. and purple <laughs> and it was awful. And like, you couldn't find games to watch and you had people playing in like high schools. Like it was terrible. Um, yeah. and so it really, I think legitimized USL and helped transform it in. So at the time I would say it was great for everybody. Um, and over time, I think there's a multitude of things that have led to the deterioration of that relationship on both sides, like not pointing the finger at one or the other. I think we are where we are because of both sides. Um, yeah. Probably equally. Um, Absolutely. We'll, we'll, we'll curious to see what direction each, each league takes it from here. Yeah. I love, I love, I didn't know that story. I didn't know that it was that gradual and, and silly really. It almost sounds like two friends are starting to hang out and then they start leaving their clothes at each other's houses before long in their living together, you know? And then mm-hmm. of course, at some point they call it official. That's totally sounds, that's so funny that it happened that way. I guess back then that's not that surprising because of, you know, it's us soccer. It's, it's, it's the way it is. Exactly. That is so funny. Okay. So you were about to lead into it. Um, let's talk about 
the differences. You know, it sounds like it was mutually beneficial and then they've been growing apart and growing apart. Obviously I mentioned earlier how, you know, I started going off on two sides because we were starting to see some clubs, some independent clubs have a really nice game day atmosphere. And then it was getting worse on the two side um, side, except for a couple clubs that were trying like the Monarchs and, you know, Red Bull too, in some areas. Um, So, I don't know. It wasn't just the two leagues. It was the fan base, you know, pushing things too. So maybe talk about that. How did they deteriorate? What were some of the exact reasons, maybe even from behind the scenes that people were disagreeing on? Sure. And and I, I mean, I used to yell in these conversations and in these meetings because it really upset me. And I was in a unique position because coming from a two side that like legitimately cared about the soccer and the business. Right. Like they were equally as important to the club. It wasn't just like, Hey, let's go crush it on the soccer side. And if whoever shows up, shows up, right. Like that, that was genuinely not the case. Um, and I can tell you, I had conversations with other MLS two clubs behind closed doors in open discussion forums at league meetings where like legitimately did not care if they sold a single ticket sponsorship, none of that mattered. It was solely about the soccer. So I could, I could see both sides of it. As USL started to evolve and you had owners paying more to get in the league in independent markets, owners who are drawing, you know, six, seven, eight thousand plus um, with serious corporate partnership dollars coming in. Um, you know, they thought and still think, you know, it would hurt their product to show up to an MLS two side on the road and there's 50 people in the stands or, you know, they, they have a fan base and they're worried about selling tickets and well, how am I going to sell tickets when this two sides coming in and it's a bunch of 18 year olds. Mm. Um, and I, not to play both sides, but I, I think they're in the right, but I also think they're in the wrong. Cause I think there's something to be said for, Hey, like you're not sitting in this chair and paying $10 million to get in this league. If these two teams didn't pull this league from the ashes. Um, cause I, I do believe that's what happened. Yeah. Um, having having experienced it, I, I can tell you, I, I I think that is more fact than opinion. But um, some people will disagree. But that from my seat, that's what it was. Sure. Um, so I was like, hey, like you like you kind of owe it to these teams to go along with this until they don't want to be here anymore. Um, now that being said, on the two sides, you have to give a shit a little bit on everything, right? So like when Tacoma was like, hey, we're when Seattle was like, hey, we're moving out of Starfire, we're going to Tacoma, we're rebranding. Awesome. Great. Yeah. Like, love it. More teams should be trying to do this, right? Atlanta two trying to go out to Kennesaw in a great facility um, in a little bit of a different market. Awesome. Like let's, let's keep going. Um, and so I do think there were some clubs trying in the same breath. If you're, and I'm, I'm going to use them just because they draw well, not because this is their view. You know, if you're New Mexico and in a lot of these markets, I don't think by and large USL fans care who they're not coming to watch you play another team. They're coming to support you and your team and your community and your players. So if it's New Mexico versus Tacoma, the same amount of people are showing up as if it's New Mexico versus Sacramento. Why? Because they're there to support New Mexico or New United. They're not there to watch whoever Sacramento striker is. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think that's a thing at this level yet. We're not there yet. Um, and so I didn't ever really buy into that argument of, oh, it's going to hurt us selling tickets. No, it's not. They're not there to see the other team. They're there to see yeah. your team. Market it. Um, so I always thought that was kind of a bullshit argument. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the same breath, like this happens all over the world. You have, you, you know, uh, Real Sociedad team is in La Liga too, right? 
last year, the, the, not the season that just ended, but the 1920 uh, season, guess what? Bayern Munich 2 won three Liga, right? It's incredible. No one, no one complained about it. Um, so I just think it's something we're not used to yet. Um, and, and then in the same breath, I would, I would yell back at people say, oh, these two teams don't care. They don't do anything. They're shit on the business side. Awesome. Happy days. You're right. Guess what? There's also independent clubs who are just as shit and who don't sell tickets and who don't market and who don't spend money on the business side or the soccer side. They just exist. Why do they get a free pass? Because they're not associated with an MLS team. Doesn't matter. If you're shit, you're shit and call it that. Um, so there were never any repercussions or pushback on that, which I felt was and still do feel is unfair to MLS two sides. Because like I know when I was at Monarchs, we would every year we would our attendance numbers would be higher than a small handful of independent clubs. But yet no one ever complained about those independent clubs. And oh guess what? They also were terrible on the field. What's that doing for the league? Mm-hmm. You can't tell me those teams are benefiting the league more than a solidly run MLS two side, because it's just not true. Completely agree. And I think with the development of, I think another thing just to throw into that as well, first of all, sorry, I love that you're giving both sides here. You're very clearly, you got your foot in one side and one and foot in the other as well. This is why you're the perfect guest, but um, it's interesting with the development of USL league one that now we've seen some championship clubs drop, maybe the ones that needed to, we've seen a couple Mm -hmm. clubs fold and, it is getting better. And so, you know, I have to wonder, I don't know if you know or not, it doesn't really matter. You have to assume that USL is wanting to make the championship something very special and maybe, you know, getting rid of the two teams is good in some ways. And so I think something I've said on the show a million times, I'm sorry, I'm repeating it if you've heard this before, but you know, some of the things we're losing from the MLS two sides is that we're going to lose, like you said, all those young kids, you know, there are a lot of young kids at, on two sides that are going to Europe after a year in MLS and after one or two years in USL championship, that is something USL can claim, you know, like oh, Alfonso Davies, you they know, do. like, of course, yeah, they have to, they should, you know, exactly. Yeah. Um, that's going to be gone. That is going to be so, so gone. So, you know, it is getting better, but you know, we're going to, they're going to take a few steps down and maybe we can talk about some of the challenges um, that the USL is going to face because of this decision, you know, let's just get them out there. What are some of the things that you see the USL is going to struggle with here in the next two years? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. So first off, completely agree. Like USL should market that. And, and I saw this today and every time I see it, it, it makes me proud. Cause I, I truly like, as I start on this answer, mm-hmm. like I want it to be known, like I love the, the USL and what it's done for soccer in this country and what it is and what it can be. Um, like I'm a, just a massive proponent. And today with the Caden Clark announcement to, to Leipzig, um, yeah. Red Bull put out an awesome graphic and it was a picture of Caden Clark, uh, like a headshot and then a picture of him playing in the background. I don't know if you saw this or not. And then on the bottom, it had the USL championship logo with an arrow pointing to the MLS logo with an arrow pointing to the Bundesliga logo. And I was like, that is so awesome. That like Thanks for saying that. That's amazing. It, it, I, when I, when Red Bull posted that, I was like, one, I think that says a lot about the club. And I know mm-hmm. that they, they deeply value their USL setup. Um, but to see it laid out that way, I was like, that is so cool. And, and I think not enough people give credit to that pathway, but it's a real thing. So first off, USL is going to miss out on that, right? Red Bull 2 doesn't exist. Guess what? Caden Clark ain't coming through your league. Monarchs don't exist. Stanley Kumu ain't coming through your league. 
Um, and I look back and you see this every time there's a, like a youth tournament, whether it's a regional qualifying, Olympic qualifying, Olympics, uh, U20 World Cups. Um, and you'll see on social media, oh, like these USL players or guys who have been in USL who are now in this. And nine out of 10 times, it's, well, they came through an MLS 2 side. Um, mm-hmm. So, so those guys, that's going to be gone, um, which leads into the challenges for the next few years, which is for me on the sporting side. Uh, when it comes to the business side, I, I don't think this move really hurts USL, right? They have their ESPN deal, which is absolutely massive, that every game is accessible in high definition. Um, you're going to, like you said, you're going to see that cream rise to the top, right? So you're going to be seeing, when you tune into a game, you're going to see fuller stadiums uh, and you're going to see great atmospheres and clubs who are trying to do things the right way. Um, but where I really think it sets them back is on the sporting side. And I, I've been beating this drum for five years now is the, the biggest thing setting USL back is its lack of investment and not the league office. Cause they, it's not like MLS, right? They don't can't tell teams what to do necessarily in terms of how they spend their money and where they spend it. They can only make suggestions. Um, but I, I think when you look at clubs is that the lack of investment in the soccer side, right? So I had a conversation with a, uh, staff soccer staff from a usl championship club two weeks ago three weeks ago hmm. and they asked me about getting into the international markets and things of that nature and they said look like we don't have the capacity to do this so i said okay pick a market that you want to get into and so they told me a market and it was a market that i, I historically had been pretty strong in so i said okay um, what do you want to know about it? And they said, well, go through your process. How'd you get in there? And you signed a lot of players from there and had success with it. How did, how did it, that happen? So I walked them through the entire process. And at the end of the day, they're like, holy cow, like that's a lot. Uh, like that's very in-depth and detailed and that's a lot. And I said, well, well, yeah, guys, like that's, that's kind of what it takes. Um, and I said, and this is no knock on you guys because you're both very good at what you do and your team is good. I said, but you're first and foremost, you're a coach, right? You're, you're a technical director slash sporting director second. You're a coach first. And your main job is to win games week to week. Yeah. Well, you don't have the ability in terms of resources, which time is a resource. I said, you can't add time, right? So you don't have the resource of time to go dive into this market and make the connections and watch the league religiously to learn the level and watch the youth national teams of this country so you know these players from their 17 all the way through 23. I said, this is no knock on you guys. I said, you literally, you can't do that. You only have so many hours in a day. And at the end of the day, when you got a Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday coming up, you can't, you can't scout, you can't watch, you can't deal with agents. You can't go look for those diamonds because you don't have the time. And until USL clubs want to spend money on proper sporting staff, um, to where you don't have a head coach and a part-time assistant coach and a full-time assistant coach doing everything, you're not going to see that level. Not because these coaches don't want to do it, uh, because they don't have the time. And it's also a different skill set. They might not possess the skill set to be able to do that. I always tell people, just because you brush your teeth doesn't make you a dentist, right? Just because you coach doesn't mean you can go out and find talent. They're completely different skill sets. Not saying you can't do both. Obviously, dentists brush their teeth as well. But just because you do one doesn't mean you can do the other. And I think that's a massive issue in, in USL Championship currently. Um, there's currently one club, one independent club, who has a dedicated 
um, soccer staff person where their sole job is watching talent, finding talent, negotiating deals, building a roster. Um, there's a small handful of clubs who have dual roles. So people who do the business side and the soccer side, but same thing, that business side is taking away time from the soccer duties. Right. Um, so until you have those teams that say, Hey, we're going to have a full-time sporting director. We're going to have a full-time technical director. You're going to miss out on that because the club, they, they just can't, they can't do that. Right. Um, which is a, a real bummer because while it's awesome for domestic players, um, I think over time it will lower the level of the league and you just won't see as many as ex exciting players. And when you turn into a U20 World Cup or you tune into the Olympics, you won't see any USL players, right? Whereas you have, like I had to laugh, uh, Honduras beat the USA to qualify for the Olympics. The guy who scored the goal, former USL player, Luis Palma. Right. There were numerous USL players on the field that day. Yeah. Um, and, and without those two sides, and they were all from MLS two sides, those guys don't exist um, in this league. And that's, that makes me sad. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of talk too. You know, I've heard from other guys that, you know, there are some gems in uh, Central America that even USL teams are not taking advantage of uh, Central America. Did I say Central? And, and Mexico, like in several regions that they're not finding them. And it makes sense to think about what you just said, which is they don't have the time to find them. They did, there's, there's no one, you know, they need a separate person to go find them and put that much. I'm thinking about how well I know the national team, the U.S. national team, and that's how well you know whatever places you're, you're managing in and scouting in for sure. And that imagining how much time that takes. It's a lot oh. It's funny. So, and I told the same staff that I was talking to I said, okay, guys, you have a Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday. Mm. I said, now it's like, I'm going to walk you through if you had like a sporting director and what I used to do and then what you do. I said, so Monday, right. It's your big day. Like you're coming, you're getting ready. You're two days out from game day. You're getting ready. You're getting your film sessions ready. You're scouting reports. Um, Mondays are going to be your heavy training session. Okay. Tuesday is a walkthrough, but you're going to go over through everything with the team and then you're focused on one. So then you go home Tuesday night and rightfully so you're beat. You got a yeah. game Wednesday. You're focused on that. So, so that's where you, that's what you're doing. And hundred percent, that's what you should be doing. Said so I'm going home and I'm watching Santos de Guapiville's Grizzly Moan, <laughs> which you've probably never even heard of that. But like, that's what I'm doing because I'm not worried about the game Wednesday. Like yeah. that's your job. Um, and I think like the light click and that's the difference, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, that's, that's the difference. Yeah. And, and if you want to hear more on that, last time I talked to Dan, um, that's what we talked about. And you, you gave practical reasons why you were able to find guys too, because of your role at uh, Real Monarchs and, and how that paid off for sure. And I think we're going to touch on that in a little bit, actually. Um, I want to say, I want to read this. So the article that I really focused on for my research here was the um, athletic article about this uh, release of this Division Three league. And I think one quote stuck out to me the most. And it was... Um, they want this league to enable clubs to be flexible and they want to utilize this league. However, each MLS organization sees fit, right? Mm -hmm. Flexible and utilized. However, each MLS org sees fit to me. That's like, if you were to fit all the problems and that USL and MLS is having right now, all the differences and put them into one phrase, like that is it. Like oh, yeah. MLS is like, I, we want to be able to do all these things, but we don't want to pay for it. Right. Maybe that's a better way to phrase it. Like MLS wants to do anything they want. We want, you know, I'm really, it's, and this is where I'm going with it is that 
their sanctioned division three. I think the last time we talked offline about this, I was like, are they even going to sanction it? And we talked about all the repercussions about it not being sanctioned. And that worried me more than this, right? That worried me more than sanctioning it through uh, division three, because it was just going to be the wild west. They were going to do whatever the hell they wanted. And that really worried me just for us soccer in general, not mm-hmm. just USL. That would have been chaos and terrible. It would have been bad, uh, but they decided to sanction it. I'm so glad, but you know, they're going to have to fit into some rules, some division three, some tier three U.S. soccer federation rules. Right. And I'm wondering if those are going to change now. Luckily some in MLS are no longer um, officially, you know, related Um, or no, some in U.S. soccer rather. So um, I don't know. How do you see that playing out? So when it, when it came to the sanctioning, because I remember people would ask me about this and the guys like they have to be sanctioned. You, you have to, otherwise like Thank God. your guys are at will employees and like you can't retain rights. And like just from a club, like put your club hat on. It's like they have to protect their assets. If this league's not sanctioned, they're not protecting their assets in any way, shape or form. Like international players aren't going to want to come do this. Like it's just it, it, in my mind, I was like this, it's a non-starter. It has to be sanctioned. Um, and so I think, obviously, with Division Three, you look, the stadium requirements are astringent, which has long been uh, a complaint of a, a majority of MLS2 USL teams, right? And mm-hmm. you saw some teams drop down to League One as a result because you don't have to have 5,000 seats. And broadcast requirements at the time uh, were a little different. I'm not sure if they're still the same or not. Um, so just it gave teams, for more on the business side, flexibility to not care as much about that stuff if that makes sense right um and i I think it'll still do that and i think that's why d3 is perfect for them um in terms of what they went for um so like if you're an independent club and you want to have a bigger stadium knock your socks off if you're an independent club and you want to play in with the 3000 c stadium also good for you Mm. um so for me it, it was always turning in that direction the quote that that stuck out to you and i don't one thing I don't think a lot of people on the outside realize is ML, MLS clubs that have a USL team did not have a ton of flexibility and were really restricted in terms of how they treated those USL guys in terms of like roster mechanisms. Yeah. So I, I, did, I did this once and had this done to me once. And I'll, I'll tell you this story. Hmm. So I think the perception is, Oh man, if you're an MLS two team, like you can sign guys to your USL team, then you just sign them up to your first team or then go back and forth. And that's not the case at all, right? Like it's really actually hard to do that outside of open cup champions league um, and a hardship loan, which is you have to have less than 14 field players, which almost never happens. Right. Mm. And so and even at then you can only call a guy up on a short term loan. Uh, it's three or four times. I forget off the top of my head, but it's three or four in a year. That's not a lot, right? That's only a couple instances. Um, so say, okay, I have my, I have Monarchs and I have a roster of 20 guys. If that guy is not homegrown eligible, so he didn't come up through my academy. Um, if I want to sign him to my first team, I, I can only do it in one of two ways. I either have to put him on our one of, we have seven, you have seven discovery spots in MLS. You have to put that guy on discovery. So when we sign Michael Chang and Justin Portillo, I had to put them on our regular discovery list. And it's like, these are our players. Like literally they're our players. Didn't matter. Had to take an international target off discovery and put our, our player on discovery. So say, mm. so say a, someone else, say Sounders had Justin Portillo on their discovery. 
And they, they saw him at Monarch, like, yeah, we like him. We'll put him on Discovery. Because realistically, I'm not putting Portillo on our Discovery list until right when we're going to sign him. Because you can't waste a spot. Well, say Sounders somehow get through to that. Cool. Now I have to pay Seattle right. to sign my own guy. So I had that happen to me once. We were going to use a player in Open Cup, and he was on another MLS team's Discovery list. And we couldn't use him in Open Cup because he was on their Discovery list. On the flip side, was going after a player that another MLS team, two team, was going after. And so right off the bat, and I always did this if I was going after uh, an international um, player or like a high-end domestic player for the Monarchs, I would put them on our discovery as we were trying to sign them to a USL deal just to protect myself and make sure I had them. So I did this. Well, the other MLS team didn't. And flash, flash, flash forward six months, they want to use them in Open Cup. Guess what? He was on my discovery list. Guess what? They didn't get to use him in Open Cup. And so, like, it's crazy that you can't sign these guys up. Uh, the only way you could is you get three spots, each MLS2 team. Uh, you get three spots to designate players that are – they have to be under the age of 23. And you say, okay, these are my three guys, and they're like your USL priority list. But that's why, like, a Michael Chang and Justin Portillo couldn't go on that list because they were aged out. Mm. Um, so you really don't get the flexibility. And that's not a USL problem. That's solely no. an MLS problem. They can change those rules if they want. So I'm curious to see how they treat that. My, my view is always, okay, I get, it. I, I get it. Like some teams don't have MLS teams or USL teams, but that's their fault. So if you don't want to invest in this, then why, why should I be punished for your cheapness, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's not my problem. Uh, so that quote leads me to believe they're going to change some of those rules and give teams a lot more flexibility. Um, it always was mind-blowing that like an academy player can play in a USL game but he can't play in an MLS game. And it's like, what, what are we doing? In the rest of the world, this is a thing. Like, yeah. what, what, are we, what are we doing? So I'm hoping, and that quote, there's a lot of ambiguity in it, but I'm hoping that some of those things change because otherwise, what's, what's the point? And this is a little bit conspiratorial, so like fix it, you know, if, if it sounds ridiculous. But I'm trying to think of why they have discovery rights, you know, like dibs. You know, like why do they have this if it's not – to make it uncomfortable for USL teams? I don't know. Do you know why it's there in general? Or do you, if you were MLS, why would you put that in? So the big thing with MLS was like, and this is just a discovery process in general, is they don't ever want, because it's single entity, like they don't want teams bidding out, bidding against each other for the same player, oh, which is totally wild because it's like, well, cool, but like, so we don't want an open market. Um, but the answer is no, like, no. Um, which is weird. And then like that trickles down to the USL side and it's like, well, the USL is an open market, but not if I want to bring my own player in MLS. Like it's just, there's a lot of things with that where you hear that and you're like, hmm, that's, that's weird. Yeah. It's almost as if a businessman formed a sports league without knowing how the sports exists in every other country. <laughs> right. No, no, I, you know, it's, it's totally true. Just like, I mean, I've always been fascinated that, and you can now in USL, and I'm so thankful, but like in MLS for years and still you can, like you can trade international roster spots. Mm-hmm. Like you can't do that in any other football league in the world, right? Like you get X amount of internationals and that's it. Like they're not tradable. Yeah. Um, but in MLS they are, which is cool, but then it's also kind of like, yeah. well, that's weird. Like, hmm. um, and now USL is on board with that as well. But it's just stuff like that is, yeah, to your point, like, someone who was not aware of how this works in the rest of the world kind of seemed to have put this together. 
Yeah. And, and, when, and when I say that, it sounds like a businessman put it together because as a businessman, you, I mean, we don't think of MLS as a single entity. It's just so unnatural for soccer people to think of MLS as that way. And so a businessman looks at them like we're all the same company. We can't compete with our, each other. It's a waste of resources. That never occurs to me, but it does make sense from a business perspective. And single entity is, I don't know. I don't know if they'd ever do away with it. This is a side rant here, but it, it doesn't make any sense for the soccer world. No, it doesn't. And one thing that, that was frustrating weekly, and, and I say this as someone who's at a club who benefited from this at times, but also did not benefit from this times. And like, whenever I think of MLS and single entity, I think of Animal Farm uh, and the quote, all animals, all animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. Like that is the most MLS quote ever. And like, no one looks at it that way, but whenever I hear MLS single entity, I immediately think of that animal farm quote, like every time. And it's like, yeah, that's the perfect sum of it right there. I think you just memed yourself, if you don't mind. <laughs> that's it. That's the one. Um, all right, let's bring it back to USL. I, I'm apologize for that, but I think it was worth it for that quote. That was so good. Um, what can I think this is what we'll end on, and then I mean we'll go on and on if, after that. But this is the last thing I want to make sure we hit today, which is if you were in the USL front office, um, and maybe they've already done some of this, um, which I'll I'll answer back for, with if you don't mention it, but. What does the USL do to fight this, to make sure that they're continuing to be relevant on the world stage as well as the U.S. soccer stage? Yeah, it, it's funny. I've, I've thought about this. I've talked about this a lot recently, kind of offline and, and in private conversations, and it's something I've thought about since I, I've gotten into USL. And I think back of where USL was when I came into the league in 2015 to where it is today, and it blows my mind to think of how – much it's grown, not from just a numbers perspective, but from an infrastructure perspective, from a accessibility, fan engagement, um, all of that. It's it's pretty remarkable, um, and I think the league and its team should be really proud of that. Um, that being said, I don't think it's time to get comfortable with that because I think there's a long way to go. Talking for me, it's not even necessarily on the business side. Um, like we talked about, it's totally. the league still has a long way to go with its soccer infrastructure. Not in terms of yes, facilities. We got to get out of these baseball stadiums and get into proper venues that are better for the fan experience, better for players, just better for everybody. Um, but but on the soccer infrastructure side, it, things need to get better. The investment level needs to continue to grow. We need owners. Uh, to view their rosters is not just a sunk cost, but as an asset and something that they can benefit from and utilize and profit off of. Um, Cause currently that mindset's not there. Um, slowly it's getting there, but at a snail's pace. Like when I, like I said, when you think of how the business has grown in those six years, the soccer is, is so far behind um, yeah. in terms of that. I'd say the clubs are leading the way on that. A few clubs are doing that right yes. before yes. the league itself caught on, which they're trying, like you said. Yeah. Yes. Um, but still, I think we, we have a long way to go. So I'm, I'm hopeful yeah. it gets there, but I'd like to see that growth happen at the same rate it did on the business side. Um, when it comes to where, you know, we see it from League One, um, Championship, MLS2, NISA, I think USL is in a unique spot where it can really take the mantle of being the, the division two league and being different. Um, 
that people have tried to do in the past, but haven't had the longevity and the staying power. Um, but that being said, uh, in my opinion, I think they jumped the gun a little bit on League One. Um, you know, we still, and I, I did this with uh, someone else in the media privately uh, a couple months ago. When you look back at every offseason since 2014 in the championship, we lost independent clubs. Um, and, and almost all years, multiple clubs. A few years, I think two years, only one. Um, but the rest of the year, multiple independent clubs we lost as a league. And it's like that. Why are we starting a new league? when we're still losing teams every single year at the division two level, like that to me, that, that cannot happen. Um, well, you look at, sorry, I just, I just see that as maybe that was the reason to start a league one league, because now instead of just closing, you know, how many championship clubs couldn't afford to do what they were doing? Like Fresno comes to mind and maybe he could afford it, but he was not spending the money he should have. And in League One, he could have gotten by, right? He could have gotten through COVID. He could have gotten through not having a stadium. And the league would have been like, sure, just stick around. Everything's going to be fine. But, um, you know, in League One, he'd be fine. So there's a place for these people who can't quite make it. And I wondered if that was the reason to have League One um, because the, so many teams were folding in championship. I don't know. That was just my thought. So, yeah, and I can piggyback off of that a little bit before I continue on. So there, I did a cost analysis for our owner when League One was starting. So we always wanted to stay in the championship. Mm. But he's really curious. I said, hey, like, here's one of the numbers. What would it cost me, just on the software side, what would it cost? Because business side, it's negligible, right? Like, you're going to have sure. the same cost. You're going to have the same staffing, more or less. Um, and it was $7,000 cheaper for us to run a League One team. And he goes, $7,000? Like, are you kidding me? And, and, and I, I get it. He was a billionaire. But for any owner at the USL level, like $7,000 is couch money. Yeah. Like, come on. Uh, because the travel is astronomical because you're going to these far off markets that are hard to get to. Good call. Um, and so when he saw that, he's like, yeah, they were never doing that. We're staying in the championship. <laughs> um, so where I think it was, was the buy-in was less for new independent clubs, right? Mm-hmm. So you might not make, you might not be able to afford 10, but you can afford two or three. Mm-hmm. Um, now, for me, the issue is you look at fast forward to next year, right? So we're going into next year will be year four for League One. Mm-hmm. And as it stands today, let's assume that the there's 12 teams this year, four of which are MLS2 teams. Let's assume that they'll leave, right? D3 for D3, uh, right? Right. So we have two new coming in. So next year, year four, we're at 10 teams. You have MLS coming in D3 already at more than likely double your number in massive markets that are going to help your travel costs. And if that expansion fee is less than league one, which we don't know what it's going to be yet, right? MLS hasn't disclosed that. You haven't even seen it reported by anybody, Mm -hmm. but say that expansion fee is less. If you're a prospective owner and you say, Holy cow, I can get under the MLS umbrella, which for some people, not all can be attractive. My, My travel costs are going to be less because I'm flying into major markets I, you know, I don't need to make all these connections or bus trips from like fly in somewhere and then bus five hours. Right. Like, so my travel costs are going to be down. Hmm. Okay. Like, let's look at that from a business standpoint. That's interesting. Um, I haven't seen anyone talk about that yet, but that was one of the first things that came to my mind was, wow, that's, that's going to be interesting. And, and at the same time, you're going to have some prospective owners who just don't believe in the MLS model or don't want to be associated with that right? Which fine and dandy on the flip side, you're going to have people who are going to be drawn to that siren of, Ooh, this is MLS. Even though it's not MLS, 
it's still MLS, right? Um, so I'm really interested in the next two years to see how that plays out because if it is cheaper, I think you're going to have prospective owners take a long, hard look at that because at the end of the day, this is their money and their business people. And more times than not, they're going to make the business conscious yeah. decision. Absolutely. Yeah. I thought about the expansion fee. Um, I thought about that for sure. I did not think about travel costs and the amount of teams. Um, that's possibly damning. I mean, that's the worst part about NISA, isn't it? You know, we've mentioned that all the time is like, mm -hmm. okay, I'll join, but man, my travel costs are going to be stupid, even though the expansion fee is nothing. No, they're, yeah, they're crazy. And so for me, I look back and now with this new news, and if you're USL, it's like, man, like, is there a potential way to recalibrate a little bit to have the championship be as strong as it possibly can and have your league filled with more New Mexico's and more Louisville's and Phoenix's than you are. And I'm sorry for all you independence fans out there, but less Charlotte independences, right? And you have more rowdies. And that, I, for me, that's the direction I'd like to see the league go is be as strong as it possibly can in tremendous markets with great facilities with owners who want to invest on the soccer and the business side um, and make that as strong as possible as opposed to kind of stretching out the resources and going in a ton of different directions. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. Um, how about on the soccer side, you know, a lot of the other things that I've been thinking of is, you know, the league, I used to think the league was very one step ahead kind of a thing. And I think now that I see like behind the scenes, what's going on a little better, they've been kind of on par, you know, like something's happening and we're going to react to it as soon as we can, because stuff's happening way before I realized it was basically. <laughs> um, so I think the league is getting on board with this. You know, I'm going to talk tomorrow. I'm going to talk to Mark Cartwright is the new sporting director for USL you know, it, his resume, I will mention it in the next show, but like that is huge because that feels to me like the next move is get your academy together has been worked on for a year or two. Um, start getting kids you know, into the independent side, like you mentioned earlier, maybe sell them, you know, onto other places. And so this is something as an agent, as someone who has worked as a, as a general manager for Real Monarchs and brought in uh, players there and sold them on. What is your perspective of that? Is that something that the USL can grow and actually be successful in on the world market? Oh, I, I think without a doubt it can. I think right now we're seeing American players and players from this market are incredibly desirable, um, but they're expensive. And they're not only expensive um, in terms of transfer fees, but they're expensive in terms of salaries. Um, I don't think a lot of people realize outside of the big five leagues, like MLS players, even making the minimum, you make really good money. Um, and that, when I say a lot of people, like fans, players, um, some agents, some people at clubs don't necessarily realize that. So times um, American players can really price themselves out of a lot of very good stepping stone markets. And I think that's where USL players can come in, right? You look at a guy like uh, like Diego at El Paso or Ronaldo at Orange County or Michi uh, in Colorado Springs. And you look at these guys, you're like, okay, these guys are all 21 and younger um, with loads of potential, but still performing have been pros. I mean, I know Diego is a rookie, but you look at Ronaldo, this is his third year as a professional. You look at Michi, this is his fifth or fourth or fifth year as a professional. Wow. And you're like, wow, like these guys have something and they're young enough to where they're still attractive. 
but they're not on $80,000 and their club aren't asking $2 million for them, right? They are at a very accessible price point for the majority of Europe. And I think it's unrealistic to think, okay, that player is going to Germany right away. Well, well, no, they're they're probably not. They're going to go to a league before that, but they're going to go to a league where because of the current wage structure of USL, that player is affordable and you can have that player for, one fifty to two hundred thousand dollars, and USL clubs need to be okay with that because you have to, you know, you always hear people you have to walk before you can run. Like, brother, we gotta crawl first because we're not even crawling right now. Um, totally. And, and I think that's where it starts. Right? Is hey, let's crawl and start selling some guys, and then hey, like, oh man, now we can stand up without having to hold on to anything, right? Like for me in my head, that's the progression. It's not hey, we gotta move this guy to Germany for $1 million right now. Well, well, guys, let's hold on. We're still at a point now where globally, and I experienced this when we sold Stanley to Sweden, and I experienced it even more so now on this side. Globally, people still don't know or rate this level um, because they're just not familiar with it. That's not to say the level's not good, because as we talked about, I think it's quite good. And I think people who watch it here domestically agree it's quite good. But the rest of the world's not there yet. So we got to educate them on it. They got to become familiar with it. And we got to crawl. And I think that's the direction it's headed. Um, and hopefully it, it gets there. One thing I think that hurts it, and we, we talked about this, me and you, before we hit record, is when one thing I always get asked about, and I did when I was at the club, and I get asked about it now, is, well, like, why doesn't someone from MLS buy this player? And it's like, well, that's a whole nother uh, story, guys. Let me explain that to you. And it's a bummer that our first division league doesn't value our second division league uh, in this home, in this country. You see some teams who do, right? So Tyler Pasher with Houston, incredible. Um, you know, you see like Los Dos and RSL who have a lot of players, not only on their first team rosters who came through USL, but who play significant minutes. Right. And then I, I will tell you there are, cause I, I track all of this, that there are a handful of teams who do not have a single player from USL on their roster, on their MLS roster. And it's like, man, like that's, that's criminal. And, and for me, I look at it as you have teams who will place more value in signing a 23 year old out of college to an MLS contract who, and like, I'm not talking a top five pick, right? Like we're not talking DK coming out of his GA, right? Like I'm talking a third round pick out of University of Denver who's never played a pro game in his life, lands an MLS contract. But, but Tyler Pasher literally has to be the best player in this league to get another chance. And it's like that in my head that I, I, don't, I, I don't know how to rationalize that to someone go, like for, from a foreign market. Like, dude, it doesn't make sense to me. So I can't expect this to make sense to you. Right. Um, and, and I think that's one thing that USL teams either have to just say, okay, you know what? We don't even care about trying to move our guys on the MLS. That's not a yeah. thing for us. And it, and it has to be okay with that. Um, and obviously, if, if, if more MLS teams took a, a, an interest in it and saw the USL for what it was, then that would also help USL from a global standpoint. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and so a couple of instances there, it looks like Jonathan uh, Gomez, is that the right name? The left back for Louisville. 
they're looking at Europe. They're like, there was zero mention of MLS. Um, you know, Pirano obviously went straight to, to Europe. And now, um, you know, the other kid, gosh, I'm so bad with names. Uh, Gallegos. Gallegos, thank you. Gallegos um, just trialed with Bayern, and I'm sure he went to a lot of other European places. They're not mentioning MLS, though I, I imagine that's a possibility. Uh, but I agree. Um, and you mentioned Tasher made 30000 right? That was bought for 30000 It's like nothing, but you're, you're right. We've got to learn how to crawl, and I'd like you to – I think what will hammer this home, this is like the success story that you can imagine except for – it's it's not straight to this club, straight from the USL success story. But you said you got to crawl before you walk, walk before you, you run. Tell me Stanley's entire story because this is such a success story. And, and I don't think players listen to this show, but maybe we can get it out there because players need to realize that this is an opportunity to go the pathway that Stanley did, right? Right. And, and, and I think the, the biggest thing is about, and we're seeing this a little bit more with younger players, is just – educating them on the different pathways, the different options and players being okay with like MLS not being the end all be all for them. Yeah. Um, because in a lot of ways, um, like if you look at, if you look at, we'll take Stanley, right. Say he had been on a first team deal, his pathway is much different and moving him to Europe becomes much harder because automatically his price tag goes up in terms of transfer fee. He's on a higher salary. So he's not as appealing to as many markets as he would have been before. So we get Stanley, and Stanley was a player that uh, had, had pro experience, um, spent a year in South Africa, went back to Kenya, which the Kenyan domestic league is not awesome, and the footage is also probably worse than you think the level is. Yeah. Um, but was desperately trying to come to the U.S., and he was working with a U.S.-based agent, and they said, hey, like, I'm going to send you this footage of this kid that we had in Kenya. I said, oh, okay, awesome. So they sent me, I go, yeah, man, like, this kid's really interesting. But, like, dude, I can't, I can't give a kid a pro deal off of something that looks like it was shot on a flip phone. Like, looks good, but, I, you know, I, I can't do that. And they go, yeah, I totally understand. So they wanted to get him into NPSL. So we wrote a letter that helped obtain him a visitor's visa. And I said, look, we'll write this letter because, like, we'll want to track the kid. We want to follow him. And we want to see him in this environment. So he goes to Ann Arbor. And he plays in PSL and is incredible. Like we watch the matches um, and he turns out being the NPSL player of the year, which like as a center back, you're like, wow, that's pretty impressive. Like, I don't care what the level is. Like it's not often you see a center back win a league player of the year. Award. So season finishes and we had some leftover budget. We're like halfway through the USL season. And one thing about our owner was like, don't ever ask for money. Like, and we never did, but definitely don't leave money in the coffer because you, <laughs> you ain't getting that rolled over. So use it. Um, so my boss, as uh, one morning, it was like a weekday morning is before I'd even gone to the office. And my boss at the time calls me and goes, Hey, like, uh, you know, is there anyone like you want to sign? We don't really need anything. Cause like it was 2018. We're in the top four. Like we're in really good form. We have a good squad. And, like we don't need anything. But like I said, we got to spend this money. Mm. So he was like, is there anything like anyone out there? Like you would, you would sign like if you could, like, so we can use this money. I said, man, I'm so glad you called have just the kid. So tell him all about it. And he's like, okay, great. Yeah. Like sign. So get on the phone with his agent. And like, we'd been going back and forth in general, just about him and how his season went. He was in Pittsburgh on trial. 
And uh, I said, like, cool story. Get him on the plane to Utah. Like, here's the offer. And so... First of all, he was in Pittsburgh. You knew, and he's a center back. You knew you had to get him. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and so I go, hey, here, here's the offer. We work out the details uh, in, like, a day, right? Said, so cool, I get him on the plane when he lands. We'll sign it. Like, we'll do the physical. We'll sign the contract. So I still have the picture on my phone today. Like, he's in my office holding the scarf. Like, we, we actually had it. It was, like, a Wednesday because we had a match that night. So we get it sorted. And, like... Boom, like Pittsburgh's pissed because he leaves in the middle of the trial, but we had a hard offer on the table, so like you got to take it. Mm-hmm. And so comes in, and the very first day of training, it's uh, like the region group because it's the Thursday after the game, but he gets in there, and Olave is in there. And like you've seen Homison. Homison is a massive human being <laughs> who still works out religiously and could probably give you some minutes today. <laughs> and Stanley absolutely blades him like <laughs> blades him and we're like oh my god the coach the coach like blades homison and we're like oh my god like this is like this is gonna be terrible yeah and like he apologizes but he's like hey man like i'm sorry but like you're in there i was just treating you like anybody else which is <laughs> play right so then he plays a little bit in 2018 and does well um and he comes back in 2019 and like has a really good preseason and he actually got called into some U23 qualifiers, but we had to hold him back. We didn't release him for that. You don't have to for youth national team. And we had a massive injury crisis. So like, dude, like if you leave, we literally don't have enough center backs to play this week. So we stayed. Uh, and like, it's getting to the point where it's like, okay, like this is too easy for him. Uh, like this level, this shouldn't be this way for a player. Um, and just, at the time, you know, it's an MLS club and there's a lot of different voices and not enough voices thought he should get a first team deal. Hmm. And so once that happened, I was like, okay, cool. Then guys like I, I want to sell him because otherwise like this is just a waste. He's too good for this. And like we as a club can't let this opportunity go away. So like, yeah, cool. Like knock your socks off, sell him. And so that's what I did. Like I woke up every day for a good three months and like that was my goal. That's mm-hmm. what my number one on the priority list for the day, sell Stanley. And it was a lot of work and it was a lot of trying to explain to people what the level was, why the price went was what it was at, um, where we thought he could end up. Um, and dude, it was like, it was hard, like mm-hmm. really hard and found the right club who it, it fit. Uh, we went back and forth. We actually worked out the terms of the transfer agreement fairly quickly um, between myself and the club. That that happened fairly quickly. Um, the personal terms took a little bit longer, but that's just because, once again, this is about educating Stanley on the situation and getting him comfortable with it. Um, and it took some back and forth, and it got a little testy and heated at times, um, but that's business. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it happened, and he moved this last week to uh, Ghent in Belgium for 3.5 million euro, which is incredible. Uh, this is and, after his previous clubs that you sold yes, him to. Yes. yes. So he went from, he went from AFC Ann Arbor to Real Bonnach to Elfsborg <laughs> to Ghent. And to be honest, like if you have a good 12 to 18 months in the Belgian first division, cool. You're moving on to a top five league and that club is cashing in for 10 million euro plus. Um, so he's right where he should be. And it, we, knew he could be special then 
credit to him because you still have to perform and put in the work and he did and credit to that club uh who just turned two hundred thousand dollars into 3.5 million euro so yeah. happy days for elsborg um we had negotiated a sell-on fee so monarchs are going to see some of that and come out um in a very good spot financially from that and that's my point of you gotta crawl and then you gotta stand up and then you gotta walk and we crawled with stanley he stood up at elsborg and now he's gonna run again and that's for me if you're a usl club that's how you need to look at it and be realistic with where we are right now and that's not to say things can't change in five years cool maybe we are walking them and you're bypassing that kind of first step but we're just not there right now like we're not there yet and we need to get there um and we can but for me that's just kind of where where i see it right now and you made the side point when we talked about this earlier that there's no way if he went to MLS, anyone like Ghent was going to come shopping for a guy like him. No matter how good he was in the league, it was going to be pretty rare that he could leave MLS for Ghent. And wouldn't you rather be a Ghent? That's an interesting story. Yeah, no, without a doubt. And so, for example, right? Uh, the uh, he, Now, Ghent with a K. So okay, like, pardon me. Sorry. No, no, no. He, he's a Ghent with a T. Okay, got it. Ghent with a K, you look like Mark McKenzie. Right, yeah. he was sold to that team from MLS for a smaller fee than Stanley went from Elsport, right? And so you look at it and you think, well, holy shit! Like Stanley got to bypass that, um, and now he's in the same place. So, not to say that you can't do it the other way. Look at Caden Clark; just it sure. did that pathway, and which is awesome. Um, but this is another viable alternative. It's just about getting more players and and following that pathway. Absolutely. That's so good. So, so good. Um, I, I think we ought to call it there. I think I can give you one more topic though. If you want to bring up anything about this whole division three with MLS and USL or anything you want to talk about in general, go for it. I, the other big question mark for me, I thought a lot about this is I'm curious is to see what MLS teams are going to pay. Uh, and what, if you are a player, who has both options on the table, um, what path they go. Mm. And I think it's going to vary player to player. Um, but I'm really curious to see that. I'm also curious to see the overall level um, of the league, the level of the independent clubs that come in, because um, I think that'll be interesting to see and very telling, uh, because you know, right now you have USL independent clubs in the championship who performed at a very high level. Um, so I'm curious to see if if that's the case um, with the independent clubs that come in to the MLS League. I'm, I'm, we touched on it earlier. The biggest thing for me is how this affects League One and what the pathway forward with that is. Um, just because I don't think anybody knows. I think if you called up the USL right now and you were able to get them on the record, off the record, they might not know. Because um, mm -hmm. it's all new and it's sudden and it's evolving. And at the end of the day, and I People usually don't believe me when I say this, but I really just want to see the USL championship continue to grow, continue to flourish and really hammer out its place in the U S soccer landscape, because I think it has the chance to do something no one else is doing mm -hmm. um, and to do it really well. And I just hope that that happens because everybody benefits MLS benefits youth soccer players, player development for the American players, for coaches, front office staff, it all, everyone benefits from having a good, strong, stable USL championship. So I just, 
really hope that that happens just because I, you've seen, you've been around a long time as well and has have a lot of listeners. Uh, I think that I even recently saw a couple months ago, uh, it was a tweet of all the mascots from division two clubs that have perished and like, they're like in heaven. And it just made me sad. Cause I was like, we need to get to, we need to get to a point where this isn't happening. So that's, that's my hope. Uh, you're a man after my own heart, Dan, uh, everything you just said, it's, we have the same thoughts, the same views. You just, uh, no more. <laughs> uh, you can actually describe what you're trying to get across. Um, if I'm USL, I'd be calling 1719 soccer management. Dan does consulting <laughs> everyone. Uh, so, uh, I love your ideas, man. And I think you're, you nailed it on the head. Thanks so much for talking to me about all of this. Um, I think we're all a lot more educated because of it. No, man, I, I really appreciate it. And I, it's a topic near and dear to my heart. So anytime I get to talk about it, I, I really enjoy it. And I think you guys do a great job with this and educating and providing listeners and people who follow USL um, something that's not out there. So thanks for, for doing what you do as well. All right, man. I appreciate that. Um, that's it, everyone. Uh, we'll log in next time. We got... Uh, we got Mark Cartwright, who is the new sporting director, coming up in the next show. We have another Thursday night USL show coming up that will recap everything. So we'll be talking at you soon. Bye-bye.